Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. I was cracking up because the whole music on this is actually a total bop. So I'm like, bop, bop, bop. And I'm it's weird. <laughs> this is how you know we've been in quarantine is when the cold music sounds attractive. Oh my gosh. I used to rock out to the Cisco hold music when I um, worked for a company that shall remain nameless. And I would just be like way into it. I joked that when I left, what am I going to do? I don't have my hold music anymore. And everyone thought I was crazy. And then I found a 10 hour loop of it on um, YouTube and sent it to like everybody I worked with. They're like, wrong with you. Really? Our so. conference line when I was working in the death care industry had like the boppiest hold music and it was like everyone's thinking of lunch and it's like god damn like you're right we are thinking of lunch that's where we would like to be right now with lunch i mean i have bread cheese and what is obviously communion wine wait you have legitimate communion wine well it tastes a lot like communion wine like i took a sip and i'm like this is communion wine I'm drinking some red blend, which I thought was a Pinot Noir when I picked it up, but it's, it's not. And that's okay. Because I, I think love I that probably we both, like it better. We both went red. Mm-hmm. Would, would, would Camus be proud of us? I think Camus would be proud of us. So for, for those of our listeners who are, are not used to this, this is the pre-show that we normally have, where we talk about everything under the sun just because we haven't seen each other in usually two weeks and in this case we haven't seen each other well still in two weeks but this time it's because we're under a stay-at-home order yeah uh welcome to the pandemic everyone uh hope you are well wherever you are and that you're safe and that you're paying attention to the local authorities yes Welcome to Amanda's Soviet corner, I guess. <laughs> so if you if you are uh, listening to this, you probably already know that you're listening to Unfortunately Required Reading. Um, we are recording remotely because we're trying to be responsible citizens and not pick up and spread the pandemic. Part of it is because my husband is immunocompromised and part of it is because Amanda is immunocompromised. And the last thing I want to do is kill either of these two fine folks. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I also don't want to die, or at least not this way. Yeah, this, this, I mean, like, at least let it be something cool, like a shark attack, or like you got eat, punched out by a kangaroo or something like that. Do you um, not know the order that's in my will? No. If I die unceremoniously, my friends are to tell the uh, medical examiner that my cause of death was mauled by bear. I like it. I like it very, very much. So if I die unceremoniously in any form or fashion, like tripped and fell and hit my head, like the, the cause of death on my death certificate is meant to be changed to mauled by bear. I like it. I want it to be at the uh, funeral history museum as well. <laughs> that, remember that folder? Okay. So for those of you who have never been in Houston, there is a funeral history museum, which will hopefully be open back to the public when all this is over. But they have a book, like it's a basically a three ring binder with those little plastic sheets in it with fake death certificates from well they're copies of real death certificates for celebrities so you can flip through it and then you can go buy them in the gift shop and it is so crazy wait a minute that name sounds familiar but i don't really recognize it oh 
that's that famous person who died by choking. Like, weird stuff, so. That was the sound of my headphones. Hello, headphones. Hello, headphones. I was like, instead of continuing to suffer, uh, let's do headphones. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I can better, actually. Oh, praise be. I also turned off the air conditioner. Don't die, though. Hmm. It's at a cool and meme-tastic 69. I'm good. Excellent. So, you're calling, or I'm calling this week's episode our existential crisis. Uh, it seems apropos. You know, it's weird because I realized that I've been having these since I was, like, 15. So, really, this is old hat for you? This is remarkably old hat for me. Like, I think... Uh, what were we talking about last time? No, for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, which going back over that audio, I never get that in in Rosencrantz. It's always Rosencrantz. I apologize. I am a soft, delicate Southern flower, and the additional in confuses me. <laughs> There's too many ins in those names. So I will do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, unfortunately, our show is canceled for the time being. Um, yeah. But we will continue to record remotely as long as we can. And I don't see why it would present the problem. I mean, in theory, in theory, we could do this for a while. So uh, don't worry. You will continue to get content out of us. Uh, Whether or not you want it. (laughs) Okay. Well, no, no, no. We, we, We want your consent. We want we want you to be part of this uh, with us. Um, we're both doing our best, but I know for me, having this to look forward to has been very good for my mental health. Yes. Um, I think you're more in the extroverted category of life, right? Am I? I don't, maybe you're an extrovert masquerading as an introvert or vice versa, but I feel like, because our conversations lately has been to check in on each other and make sure the other one hasn't gone feral. So here's my thing with it. I like routine and I like people. I've been referring to myself a lot as a cactus with daddy issues. Like I like (laughs) sunlight and attention. So it's not so much. I mean, there is no lie present. So it's not so much that I'm really extroverted. I mean, I panel. So I clearly get off on the attention a little bit, but it also drains a lot out of me. Like I devolve when I'm done paneling, like I turn into soup. Like there's a brief momentary boner where I'm on stage and everything is great. And people are asking me questions. And the minute, like I'm done and I'm in the car going back to the hotel, I am boneless. I am, (laughs) I am sludge. I don't want to talk to anyone. I wrap myself in a blanket and you will not hear from me again for like hours. So I still consider myself an introvert because I don't get a lot of power from a lot of people. But the people that I do get power from, I get a lot from them. You're like a cactus. You are using your efficient resource or your resources efficiently. Exactly. So like my friends, they usually don't take a lot of energy from me, but I get a lot from them. So I come off as really extroverted. I'm not. I just I I like people. Oh, oh, no. I like certain people. So, like, I get a lot of power from you. I get a lot of power from this podcast. I get a lot of power from our listeners when they're nice. No one's been mean so far. I don't know why I prefaced it that way. 
pretty much all of our listeners have been pretty chill. So thank you guys also, for being chill. They're also mostly our friends. So I wish they would yes. be mean. I would love to me. <laughs> yeah, we're we're both in fragile mental states. So yeah, like I, I guess. Orchid. So I guess I am a little bit more on the extroverted side. I mostly just like routine and I have a pretty set routine. So like for Saturdays, a peek behind the curtain, I usually do my shopping for the podcast Saturday morning. So like not having to do that this Saturday was like, cool, my life has no meaning. I'm going to lay here and watch Sophie the Magpie's live stream and hope uh, that everything's going to be okay. And it was. Sophie's doing great. I feel like I need to link Sophie to our, our listeners because Sophie is amazing. Amanda introduced Sophie the Magpie to me and it's a little boost every day. She's building her nest. It's Nest Fest. Nest Fest. It's Nest Fest 2020. Uh, so she's building her nest. She does little stick dances. I learned what the magpie sound for nope is. <laughs> nope. It's a, It sounds like, have you ever like squeaked a dog toy too aggressively? Yes. That's a magpie nope. Oh, good to know. It's great. Uh, got to meet a very, very chunky uh, English Robin because they are very different from our Robins. Like, are they? No, they're just bi- they're they're round little orbs. They look they look like chibis. They're just round little balls of feathers. They don't look anything like ours. I like round balls. Welcome to or- <laughs> welcome to ornithology. Instead of philosophy, instead of philosophy, which, uh, while while we're thinking about philosophy, I guess we should say that we're both eating and drinking at home. So, Tori, do you want to go first? I am drinking red bull that I got at the grocery store while quarantine shopping. Hell yeah! Um, It was cheap. It's efficient, and it's in a glass that my kid bought me two years ago for Christmas, which is. So I feel like accomplishing something today. What are you eating and drinking? Because you've already sent me pictures and your knife cuts are on point. So I need to know. Have they ever not been? No, I mean, like, it's just, it's stunning to watch. (laughs) Yeah, I took out the ceramic knife because I have brie. uh, Because I feel like you can't discuss everyone's favorite Frenchman without brie. I'm finally cracking into that uh, honey for cheese you got me. Oh, good. So I'm very excited about that. I have some sourdough from Sprouts because I also did some light quarantine shopping. And then I have, what is this bottle? Tisdale Sweet Red. Uh, It was very cheap. It was shockingly cheap. And it tastes exactly like communion wine. I have two glasses in front of me because uh, I do. One of them is a stemless that says, I will drink to that because of course I do. And the other is a crystal goblet. Because, because that's, of course it is. Yeah, because I mean, I think I'm the worst kind of bougie, which is I don't think I'm bougie until I realize I'm casually drinking supermarket wine out of a crystal goblet. <laughs> and this is why we're friends. Anyway. Do you want to know my favorite thing in the world? Hmm. So, so Ina Garten is the person I want to be. I think you know this about me, right? Yes. 
Okay. So, so for, for those my... of you where Anna Garden is the Barefoot Contessa. Yes, she is the Barefoot Contessa. Uh, she is a rich, I want to say white, white-ish woman who lives in the Hamptons, has a flock of gay men around her and a husband who is filthy rich and is never home. So she gets to live the ideal life of basically being like a divorced or widowed housewife with a ton of money. So her whole life is just like throwing these dumb parties, which are fabulous. Like she's friends with Taylor Swift. Like Ina Garten is, I mean, sans the Taylor Swift part, not to enrage our fans, but Ina Garten is the person I want to be. And her whole big thing is high low. So it's like, let's take something that's kind of lower brow and then add something that's high and then make it kind of more elevated. So like you can have a supermarket pizza and then drizzle it with good balsamic vinegar. That's something I do a lot. Like here's pizza from Domino's. We're going to add hot honey to it. Or like here's some not great bread from the supermarket. We're going to use really, really good butter with it. Like so high low is my entire like cooking and baking philosophy and i got that from ina garten it's also very french (laughs) (laughs) it's also painfully french speaking of french i am the warning in the beginning that amanda is the french speaker among us Uh, my mom made me take spanish and i've been teaching myself russian but um the beautiful soft sounds will not necessarily be beautiful and soft coming from my mouth. So I apologize. <laughs> so my uncle is a native French speaker. And there was one year, a few years ago, I was home for Christmas and I learned the best skill, which is if you're going to swear in front of your family, swear in a different language. So they don't know you're swearing. Mm-hmm. So I said meld very fast, which means shit. And he turned around and was aghast. He's like, did you learn that from me? It's like, no. (laughs) Also, I'm almost 30. So no, I learned this from the internet like everyone else. Yeah, pretty much the mastery that I have in Russian so far is swear words. So uh, according to the guy who does Life of Boris, basically I know a third of the Russian language. So... I can get drugs in almost any language. That's good. Question mark. <laughs> I can get what I need, and I'm going to leave need as very open. I can get what I need in most languages. All right, so I'm sticking with you during the apocalypse, but I mean, that was already the plan, so. I think, yeah, we discussed this during uh, Lord of the Flies that apparently I'm the person that everyone needs to be friends with during the apocalypse because I am capable. I like that you're capable. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. Again, like, I don't think that I am. And then I realize that, like, I can't not be capable because otherwise I'd already be dead. So interestingly enough, Texas is marked on at least the zombie maps as one of the places where you're more likely to survive. Because everyone has guns? Yeah, pretty much. Um, us, Georgia, and Mississippi are at the oh, top that's of the a, somehow. Oh, no, that's a fucking lie. There is no way that Georgia is surviving. Re- I mean, Savannah, I can see it, because they're pretty tough. Um, but they don't have resources. That's true. I know. That's true. See, I, was, I wasn't being mean. I was being... <laughs> like, I was using logic. Like, I wasn't... I'm not anti-Georgia. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're here, and we're, you hear the, well, 
we were a country before we can country again and Okay. Well, but not even that. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm purely thinking about this when it comes to resources and then attitudes. Because I think the Texas attitude, yes, is what will save us. But also that, like, we have a shocking amount of resources at our disposal. We don't use them, but we have them. In the event of emergency, you have someone who raises chickens. There is a cow somewhere down 1604. Like, you will find what you need in the event that the supply chain completely collapses. We still have so, cotton here. Yes. What's crazy is you know, there's been a run recently in San Antonio at the grocery store. I don't know why. Um, Stop yeah. panic buying, you idiots. I know. My friend, her neighbor's backyard chickens got stolen by somebody. <gasps> and I'm like... Y'all need to calm down that it's someone's pet that also was helpful. Like, do not take someone's backyard chickens. Unless they're on Culebra. Unless they're on Culebra and they're just walking down the middle of the street. Yeah, like, not not, not to be rude to the Culebra chickens, but if they're on Culebra, they're fair game. (laughs) Well, then, like, Key West or like that, there are chickens just literally wandering everywhere, and it is magical. Because they don't Hawaii. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, I want, but then we also live in a city. So, all right. So we, we're not avoiding this book. I mean, I think I really actually enjoy this book. So, um, uh, I don't dislike it. If that makes sense. Like I, mm, spoiler, this is not my favorite Camus. It's not bad, but I think that there's definitely better ways to get, uh, your existential, uh rod waxed what's your favorite is it myth of sisyphus yeah definitely yeah myth of sisyphus is awesome so we're gonna do the short story long and please we are well i'm gonna do it well do do you do you know how to pronounce the main character's name merceau that's that's fine yes did i do it did i do you you did fine so our narrator Merceau is a young man he receives a telegram that lets him know that his mother has died. He kind of doesn't actually care and is more concerned about requesting the time off and reminding his boss that it's not his fault that his mom died. He goes to his mother's care home and speaks to the director, but when they go to see his mom, she's already been put in her coffin, and he declines the offer to open the coffin. He reluctantly keeps vigil over his mother's body because he feels like he has to. The talkative caretaker stays the whole time, it drives him crazy. He smokes a cigarette, drinks coffee, and then falls asleep. The next day before the funeral, he meets with the director again, who tells him that an old man, Thomas Perez, has grown super close to Marceau's mom and wants to come to the funeral. The funeral procession goes to a local village, but Perez ends up fainting from the heat. Marceau admits he remembers like nothing of the funeral and is mostly irritated by having to deal with the attendees. That same night, he goes to Algiers and is super happy about it. So basically, he leaves the funeral early. Mm -hmm. The next day, Marceau goes to the beach. He runs into a former co-worker, Marie. They meet up later to see a comedy in a movie theater and spend the night together. When he wakes up, Marie is gone, so he stays in bed till noon. Yay! And sits on his balcony <laughs> to watch people on the street until evening. I mean, I think... Yay! Oh, I've so, absolutely done that. Rousseau goes back to work, has lunch with a friend. When he goes upstairs to his apartment, he runs into his neighbor, Salmano. Sorry if I butchered that. The man is yeah. old, has a mangy dog. He then runs into his friend, who's rumored to be a pimp. Raymond invites Marceau to dinner, and while they're eating, he talks about how he beat up his mistress for cheating on him, 
and then got into a fight with her brother. Now he wants to cause more problems and wants Merceau to write a letter to woo her back so he can beat her up again. And Merceau says he'll write it later. Wait, what? Um, the next what? Saturday, Marie visits Merceau and asks him if he loves her. He says that it doesn't mean anything. Then they hear two people shouting from Raymond's apartment and go out into the hall as the police arrive. The policeman slaps Raymond and says he's being summoned to the police station for beating up his mistress. Raymond asks Merceau to testify in his behalf, and he agrees. He runs into Salamano, who bemoans the fact that his dog has run away and he doesn't want to pay to get him out. Marie asks Merceau if he wants to marry her. He is completely indifferent and says they can get married if she wants, so they get engaged. Least romantic proposal ever. (laughs) They go to a beach house owned by one of his friends, Masson. They swim in the ocean and eat. A fight breaks out with two Arabs on the beach. One of them is the brother of Raymond's mistress. The Arab gentleman stabs Raymond, and Raymond comes back to the beach with Merceau. They find the Arabs at a spring. Merceau talks Raymond out of shooting them, and he takes his gun. But for no apparent reason other than to know what it feels like to fire a gun, Merceau returns later and shoots the mistress's brother. Mm -hmm. Merceau goes to jail, stood over the lack of remorse for the crime. No one can really understand why he doesn't act guilty. The magistrate puts a cross in his Merceau says he doesn't believe in God. So they start calling Monsieur, or him Monsieur Antichrist. Marie visits him in prison and says she hopes he gets out so they can get married. What? Priorities. He's to prison life and doesn't really seem to care. He just sleeps most of the time. Same. His trial becomes less about the actual murder because there's still a lot of racism in Algiers at this time. And more about his character and lack of sadness when his mom died. Attendees from the funeral come and say he never cried. Marie has to testify that they went to see a comedy the night after his mom's death, much to her chagrin. Merceau is deemed a monster and found guilty and is sentenced to beheading. He mm-hmm. continues to refuse to believe in God. He tells the chaplain his face is meaningless, steps evil up, but people him die and truly hate him. Yeah, that's the part where he gets off. Also, do you know when France stopped using the guillotine? I do not using the guillotine. In the 1970s. Shut up, really? Mm-hmm. Because I knew it took a while for England to stop using the firing squad. Yeah, they didn't stop until like the 70s. Shit. I mean, it wasn't popular. Like, it definitely definitely wasn't the most popular because at that point, people were really using it as like a, hey, let's all go watch the beheading still. They used it on some Nazis. I mean, I kind of can't be mad about that. I I say, please, please be mad. Please be angry. So actually something that's really interesting um, in this book in Nazis is the whole existentialism for world, in World War II because yeah. people saw this group of Nazis rise up, kill a bunch of people. Nobody did shit about it until way later than was probably warranted. And so it's just fascinating to see people start going, oh, life is meaningless. Well, and you saw that with the rise of cynicism during World War One. So, like, during World War One, war was no longer beautiful or sexy or a penis metaphor. It was, oh, shit, I'm going to die in a trench like a dog. So, mm-hmm. it's fascinating that World War Two was the thing that brought up existentialism. That this whole idea that nothing has inherent meaning, which I think we need to spend a decent amount of time talking about existentialism. So here I am, your favorite drunk French philosopher. Uh, Fabulous. It's fine. 
it's fine. So the existentialist who were Nietzsche, Sartre, who is technically the start of it, I disagree. I think it technically started with Kierkegaard uh, and Camus basically fought against like thousands of years of thought, which is everything has essence or meaning. And usually that essence and or meaning is defined by faith. So usually the church. So like, I have to be here because God made me here. And thus I am somehow important. I just don't understand how. Um, The existentialists really were like, fuck that noise, except for Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard really, really, really found faith in Jesus, uh, which is why to tie this back to once again, the killing joke. It's so weird that that one's so atheistic and so Kierkegaardian because they completely ignore the Kierkegaard part of all of the answers are found in the Lord. (laughs) It's like that last fourth that everyone ignores about Kierkegaard. Everyone goes into the whole, like, everyone's one day away and, like, we're all, like, dangerously teetering. And then we all forget about the part where he's like, and Jesus is super cool. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Kierkegaard. <laughs> I don't dislike him, but, like, his uh, his his liking of faith, uh, I don't know, as a bit of a deist, it kind of rubs me raw a little. So I did really like, I was watching, um, I want to say it was the crash course on existentialism. It was, it was very good. Documentary. It's incredibly good. Um, and that's, it's uh, Hank Green, correct? That is Hank. Very good. I was shocked when it was Hank He's and not adorable. John. Oh my, they're, yeah. they're so cute. They're, if you don't watch crash course yet, I don't know what's stopping you, especially now, uh, if I need background noise, I will run through like an entire series of Crash Course. Like I will do world history just as background noise. It's like 50 something videos. Well, there's that. And then I'll do Monstrum as well. And my kid oh. loves that. I'm so she proud. Now knows, she now knows what Alessi is. She knows all about the Yeti. Like Aunt Amanda is like high up there. So for Oh, did you get to see that you. documentary I mentioned? About how the Yeti killed those kids at the Dime Club Fast. I have not. Um, I saved it onto Hulu so I can watch it later. Um, I don't remember what the name is. I should probably find it and tell people. So I think it's Russia's uh, Killer Yeti. Yes, that's what it's called. I did save it. Um, I'm as, as you guys have probably figured out over time, I'm painting Russian history at the moment and culture and creatures and yet love pass and all sorts of stuff so um god i'm sorry <laughs> and i'm just a bit of a cryptozoologist and it was on and i'm like i feel like this is something that tori should be watching absolutely and you know what i'm gonna be the weird person who ties this back in again because kemu basically was saying the meaning of life is what you to keep yourself or to keep from killing yourself and it, yeah Sometimes that's yetis. Well, no, and I'm glad that you brought that up because so, and Hank Green mentions this in Crash Course Philosophy, and I'm glad that he did because a lot of people think that existentialism equates to nihilism. Now, Nietzsche was a nihilist. Nietzsche believed that nothing had meaning and nothing was important. And he kind of stopped there. uh, And he put that in self-importance. He put that in the ubermensch, uh, which I think is dangerous. Just me personally. Um. But the other existentialists like Sartre and Camus, they put that in things. Um, Sartre is the one that I think more people like because Sartre put 
his love of the absurd into ordinary things, like having dinner with your family or going for walks. Camus did a little bit, I think. So Camus, if Nietzsche is full nihilism and Kierkegaard is everything's going to be fine, but everyone dies. I think Sartre leans towards Kierkegaard and Camus leans towards Nietzsche, but both are more in the middle. So I, I would agree with that too. Yeah. So I can personally relate more to Camus' soft nihilism, but I like Sartre's uh, love of routine and love of like everyday things, almost like the way that Andy Warhol had like a reverence for everyday things. I just made this about art. Am I the best philosopher? I'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, I just made this about art somehow. Cool. Uh, so we have to find meaning in things. So like, if you find meaning in cryptozoology, if you find meaning in listening to two drunk Slytherins talk about books occasionally, if you find meaning in costumes or Beetlejuice or Yu-Gi-Oh cards or Disney or whatever, like you make your own meaning because there is no meaning that is inherent. There is no essence to guide us. We have to find essence. And just to kind of give you a background too, when we talk about the absurd in the concept of existentialism, it's the search for answers in an answerless world. So it's, it's not screaming like, into the oh, void. Look, that guy's wearing a boot on his head and running for New Hampshire governor. No, it's it's you know trying to find answers when there are none. Yeah, it's it's standing at the top of the cliff and screaming into the void. That's what the absurd is. Uh, Camus doesn't really deal in the absurd. That's, again, very Sartrean. So Sartre was very obsessed with the absurd. And, uh, I mean, I like Sartre a lot. He's great. Camus was a fascinating character in the sense that I feel like he wouldn't have been an existentialist. Maybe, like, if he was born more recently, he would just be, like, a dude on Tumblr. Yes, or on Tinder. (laughs) Oh, he'd absolutely be a fuckboy. He, uh, yes. So for our friend Emily at Fuckboys of Lit, uh, Camus is definitely the ultimate fuckboy. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll go he's, into that. he's that. But um, some really interesting parts of this book are just how checked out Merceau is the entire time. So the very first line of the book is lines in literature. It's today my mother died or maybe yesterday. I do not know. Yeah, um... and I'm sorry to 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 bring this up to somebody who who has lost their mom already, but it's so freaking weird because you that is something you remember. Like when my my dad passed away, I'm I'm always going to remember how I felt. I'm always going to remember how just everything got torn apart. And in this, it's like Marceau is just a minor blip. It's something I have to deal with, even though I don't want to. So fun fact. So I relate to this on a psychic level because, so I had both parents die when I was relatively young and I had both parents die of chronic illness. So I spent a lot of time with my parents in the hospital and the way that my extended family coped with that is almost like this cold detachment, like hospitals are the best place for sick people, but you still have a life to live. So I always come off as a little detached when it comes to people who are sick because I don't, I'm too pragmatic. Again, there is no question of my house placement. I am aggressively Slytherin. I value myself and my own uh, freedom and free will. So 
I always come off as a little bit cold and detached in these instances. And it's only because it's not from a lack of caring. It's from a lack of what am I going to do in a hospital that like, I, what am I supposed to do here? I'm not a doctor. I can't help you. You know? Uh, so in a weird way, like I very psychically related to this whole thing. Like it took up my Sundays because fun fact about me, I do forget when my mom died only because I was in the hospital when it happened. So like technically the time of death is one day, but Facebook reminds it to me on the day after, because I posted about it after midnight. Mm -hmm. So it's weird that, and even like for my dad, like I will occasionally like, was it this day or the other day? Like time and detachment actually makes it kind of easy to forget. And you'd think I'd never forget and I'm never off significantly. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm a month off from, you know, dad being dead. But like every once in a while, it's like, oh, it's this day and not the other day. So like for dad, I know, I just know it's roughly after Valentine's Day. That's what I know for dad. I know for mom, it's roughly around when I graduated from high school. Like, I know that much. So I I very much related to Marcel and his uh, ennui about the whole situation. Uh, because it's a coping mechanism in a world that is capricious and random and cruel. What I think is interesting too about him as well is he's very big about how gross other sentimentality is and how Mm -hmm. frustrating hypocrisy is. Mm -hmm. So he just kind of is like, well, I can't fix it. I guess I'll just be over in the corner. Yeah, and I I kind of relate to that because it's weird for me because people who don't know me very well tend to think that I'm a little bit detached. And it's not that I'm detached. I'm just, I'm really pragmatic. And Tori, you've seen this in action, haven't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Like, I am just, I am incredibly solution-oriented and I am grossly pragmatic. That's why I will survive the apocalypse. Yeah, I probably will let somebody in who will accidentally kill me. So that's the problem. And it's not that I don't have sentimentality. Like I have, I keep birthday cards. That's a weird thing that I do. I keep birthday cards. Like I have a lot of sentimental, I have a lot of sentimentality, but I know when to put that stuff away, which is why I like existentialism so much because it allows individuals to create meaning. Like I never found a ton of comfort just in God. I never found a ton of comfort in like just career or just being any one thing so being able to place lots of like smaller versions of myself in things to create a simulacra of success has been very beneficial to me and my my mental health so something you said kind of ties this back as well um there's that whole part where merso is talking to his boss his boss basically offers him this huge promotion that i'll and he's like eh boss is pissed because it looks like Marceau has absolutely no ambition no desire to move forward and it's just like Marceau's like well that really just doesn't matter to me right right um so it's weird because this almost feels Sartrean because Sartre hated capitalism and he took that out in a lot of his work, especially like with bad faith and radical freedom, which I probably have to explain, don't I? Explaining it. So Jean-Paul Sartre, he had this whole thing called radical freedom, which basically states that 
The problem with humanity is not that you are bound to anything. It's that you are free. Nothing is holding you back. You can do whatever you want. If you want to be that dude with a boot on your head running for governor, you can do that. The thing that holds us back is what he calls bad faith. Bad faith is fear of that radical freedom. And one of the things that feeds into our bad faith is capitalism, because we're afraid that if we don't do those things that we want to do, that we can't make money and it won't economically support us. So like for me, I would love to quit my day job and just be drunk and talk about books all the time. But at this time, economically, that's not something that I could do unless Tori is lying to me. <laughs> no, you, you can see any donation get so i know i'm teasing and that is not meant to guilt anyone it's just a fact um <laughs> we do this for love of literature exactly with each other and the fact that we can um day drink on a saturday and get away with yeah. it and it's actually not true i would not want to quit my day job because i like structure too much um I but saying you as, don't hate your job so <laughs> i don't so like i don't I, that's an example so but that's bad faith. That's economics would be keeping me from quitting and doing what I want to do in my life. And Sartre had a huge problem with that. So that feeds into Merceau a little bit. Uh, I also think that Merceau just has a lot of uh, ammoni, or I would honestly just consider him more filled with ennui. Like I wouldn't really consider him alienated as much as just over it, if that makes sense. He's bored to the point of madness. Yeah. Well, okay. So something that I found really interesting that actually kills the Arab guy at the beach. Mm-hmm. There is a quote is um, there were four shot Arab knocks at the door of unhappiness and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be the bullets that he's firing. Now it's very, very, very clear that he hasn't thought any of this through because mm-hmm. he, if he had fired only one shot at the dude, he could have claimed it was self-defense. Like I had a knife right. on him. Right. But mm-hmm. instead he takes this pause and he thinks about how frustrated he is everything and how life just doesn't matter to him. And he shoots the guy four more times. And he even talks about how it just melts into the guy's body. Like it doesn't matter because the first bird killed them. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating for two levels. One, because as someone who watches a lot of true crime internally, I'm like, you idiot, stop at one. Uh, also that like to fire a gun he wanted to he had these things that he could have used as a successful defense and he didn't Mm -hmm. like "Uh, I just want to do this yeah it was it was fascinating because you do see that with like people who do suffer from certain mental illnesses when it comes to violence and I don't want to conflate those two because I understand that's dangerous territory, but like people who also who don't process or internalize things properly, that it only takes one thing to kind of like tip them over the edge in that regard, or just to be fully detached. And I think, I think here's the thing that we didn't list in the outline, but I think is important to mention, which is existentialism seems to do a lot for a certain group of individuals. And I think that that's kind of dangerous. Right, it definitely can be. Um, because like we were talking a little bit about Nietzsche and the Ubermensch, I think that that is a very dangerous, destructive way of thinking a lot of the time. 
I do, but like just even the whole because again, like most people don't continue on with existentialism properly. Like they'll kind of stop at the whole uh nothing has meaning part. They'll stop there. And that's just not true. They just they don't move forward into the it has meaning that you assign it. Exactly. So I, I do think that it's important to recognize that as two anxious and depressed people, uh, existentialism does a lot for us, but I think it does a lot for us in a comforting sense and not a harmful sense. I don't mean to speak for you. I'm hoping that I'm right. Oh, no, you're fine. You're uh, fine. Um, I kind of go back and forth between an existential thinking and also the, well, God has meaning for my life. So it depends on how high my depression le- and anxiety levels are that day and all mm-hmm. I don't think I'm a pure existentialist ever. I'm a pretty pure existentialist. I think Tori and I briefly discussed if I was Sartre or if I was Camus. And I think we found an answer. But I'm obviously the Camus. Yeah. I'm the fashionable bad boy of existentialism. <laughs> no lies detected lies detected there are no don't ask all lie but uh so one of the terms that you had one of the terms you had used anomie anomie just for those who don't know it was from emil durkheim durkheim it's It's, sorry it's an alien off from one another and they cannot express emotions yeah and and i think that's why i kind of got into the whole like mental illness tangent is that like I think for a lot of people, these are kind of red flags for, like, depression. <laughs> like, if I, had a, if I had a friend who was just like, I suddenly feel very detached from society, I would be, hello, friend, it's time to go see a therapist. Or, hello, friend, we're in... Stay at home. Yeah. Something that's really interesting is, you know, you, you scarcely being able to see each other but the fact that people are finding meaning in this time which is fascinating um reaching out sharing their stories sharing songs i have seen multiple people from ren fairs across the country that have been canceled hosting their shows online for free so people can see you know them just performing a lute from their living room um <laughs> a lute from our living room our new folk band down uh but it's the things that are coming out of this um people are posting on the next door hey i've got anybody need me to bring some to you hey i'm mm. paper is anybody out and it's like people are reaching out and finding meaning and connection through this crazy ass time instead of just i mean and there are the few that are, are pulling a um small and just like hiding in their house around their toilet paper but it, it's interesting to me that the people who have just enough are still reaching out and trying to make sure that everyone gets through this. So. Absolutely. And I think like, not to make this about us, but to make this about us, I think that's one of the reasons why we decided to continue on with the show is that this is one of the ways that I know I find meaning is by mm-hmm. doing this podcast and by being able to research and read and I know for our listeners, it almost felt a little, you know, inappropriate to say, hey, we're not going to do this because pandemic, even though it would have been easy to do so, I think it would be like, I think it'd be a logical, hey, we're going to take a hiatus because there's a fucking pandemic. 
And I mean, and I have no ill feelings about anybody who's doing that right now. I know some pastors, the only way that they really can record is together. Um, mm-hmm. We're lucky enough to use a platform, and this is shame where we can all together. Yeah, um, it's great. Which is cool. We didn't have to figure out Skype and stuff like that, which we may have to, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, one heard a lot of time. Yeah. Able to something or try to contribute something to distract from just those gutsy feelings and that's it's hard it's hard to stay cheerful all the freaking time I mean it's it's not easy I will admit there are times where I lock myself in my room and cry for like 20 minutes and then go okay we're fine we can do this I have people who need me so yeah like I I think I think existentialism is weirdly comforting in this time because yeah, like you do have to find meaning in small things. Like I have found a lot of meaning in my short walks around my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I have found a lot of meaning in like my weekly calls with my friends because a lot of us are long distance now. So I mean, we still have these calls in place, but like we're doing it a little bit more frequently, you know, I, it's things that I've always found meaning in, but they matter more now or like just having things to look forward to. Like there is not, not every event for me is canceled yet. Maybe there will still be some. It's what do you individually find comfort and meaning in as long as it's not holding you back. And I think like that's the part of existentialism again that everyone also forgets is that you're not meant to act in bad faith and that you're supposed to let these things be a bit of a, uh, opiate for the masses you're not supposed to let religion or anything like that hold you back you are supposed to still be radically free even if you take you know solace and comfort in religion even if you take solace and comfort in your job you're not supposed to let any of those things keep you from being your best self uh which is self-actualization on maslow's hierarchy of needs one of the things that's interesting is so he's very big on just adapting and accepting what is one of them it is very much that that concept of bad faith when he goes to prison he's sitting there going i miss women i kind of miss cigarettes and it's really interesting when he's talking about it and then he's like oh yeah that's kind of the point is that we're being set apart from these things that we would find meaning in mm-hmm. um and then he just kind of adapts by getting used to prison life and sleeping all the time and I mean, I, what, one of the things that's really interesting is there's that exchange between him and Marie, where she's like, I hope you get out so we can get married. And it's like he he's more concerned with the fact that everything is so loud in the room that they're in and that it's just irritating. And he just wants to like end this conversation. He doesn't it, want to keep talking to this woman. He's like relieved when he doesn't have to deal with her anymore. It kind of reminds me of uh, By the Sea and Sweeney Todd. Oh, yes. Where it's just like, I'm just here. I don't really want to be here. I'm going to do whatever I need to to make this woman shut up. I love her so much, too. I love her, um, too. So, so for those of you who haven't seen Sweeney Todd, there is a character named Mrs. Lovett in it. And um, when Sweeney comes back and he's hatching his revenge plot, he boards and she falls madly and basically do anything for him. And there's a song called By the Sea where she talks about how they're going to get married. And it's okay that he's killing a bunch of people. That's fine. She'll help him cover it up. 
but they're totally going to get married and everything's going to be wonderful and he's going to love her forever and the entire song like anything you say whatever anything you say and it's fascinating to see it performed um, yeah because Johnny Depp is so checked out and it fits so like I usually give him a hard time as being a checked out actor but for Sweeney Todd it works because he's a checked out human being my personal favorite is the version with Angela Lansbury oh my gosh okay well it's Angela Lansbury so I mean come the fuck on she's, she's a goddess I she wrote because of you would year old woman now in my house do you know what I've been watching too much of? What? House. Yeah. What? Why? I've been watching way too... I've been watching way too much House. Who keeps letting me watch House? And mega disasters. For someone who has chronic anxiety, I've been watching a lot of shows about people dying in crashes. Okay, so here's the weird thing. When all of this started happening with COVID-19, did you just kind of have this total sense of calm? Like, uh, I expected this shit. No, because I'm on a lot of medication for my depression and anxiety right now. So I really didn't feel anything. <laughs> like, it was so just I kind of like, okay, this is where we are. <laughs> I have to be really careful not to end up on the one-way ticket to Merceau Town sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, but again, like, I, I don't know. This might just be the aggressive Slytherin in me. I don't think that he's that wrong. And I don't and think that he's acting in bad faith. I think he's doing... Hmm? That's part of the point is that Merceau, he does these little things that aren't that big of a deal until mm -hmm. he shoots somebody. And then to him, that's, that's a big deal. not that big of Yeah, it's like, okay. But what's interesting is on trial, him actually shooting the Arab doesn't matter to anybody on trial they're like whatever he's an arab which is horrifying but very accurate for algiers at the time mm -hmm. there is another case that is going on at the same time where um, a woman and her daughter murdered a lodger and took his stuff and everyone is expecting that to be the case that everyone is is like reporting and going to town on but mm -hmm. because it is such a slow news cycle and there's not a whole lot going on in the summer Suddenly, Marceau's case becomes this big thing because, one, he's got the nickname Monsieur Anti. Um, he doesn't believe in God. He seems callous and unjust. And the funny thing is, he's just doing basic things, but they make a trial off of that. And that's where it becomes this thing because there are these reporters who are going, oh my gosh, we could totally do a story on this. This is way interesting. And it really wasn't big of a deal of what his crime actually was, it became more his personality was the crime. Yeah. Um, in fact, there is a really, really interesting uh, Lindsay Ellis video where she talks about Phantom of the Opera and Orientalism that I think you would love. Ooh. That talks a little bit about this. Uh, I love Lindsay Ellis. I love her so much. I blame you. Lindsay Ellis is magic. Uh, but yeah, I... I think that's the weird part about this whole thing is that, like, I don't disagree with him a lot. I mean, the shooting part is bad. Um, the shooting part is very bad, and I can unilaterally say that that is bad. But, like, I don't disagree with a lot of how he feels, and I don't think that he's acting in bad faith. I think he's doing what any existentialist would do is you accept and then you try to adapt. And adapting is hard to do. And sometimes when you can't adapt, you just don't. 
Like I say that as someone with anxiety where there's a lot of situations where I just don't adapt and I sleep or I go through the motions or I disassociate uh, because I can't adapt to that rhythm for whatever reason. And I think that that's important to acknowledge. What's interesting too is how his grief is framed because Mm -hmm. everyone grieves differently. The fact that he doesn't want to see his mom in her coffin of a deal the fact mm-hmm. that he has coffee and a cigarette because they were offered to him he was mm-hmm. offered the coffee um that doesn't isn't really that big of a deal the fact that he goes to see a funny movie so he's not think, well it, that wouldn't really be that big of a deal because you know you're distracting yourself from your grief and you're trying to find something else but it's the way that he is framed where we have a lot of the issue yeah and i and again like without i mean i've already gotten super personal on this uh i blame the communion wine i related to that a lot because i spent a lot of my mom's death like not looking like the traditional grieving person because i could not process those feelings and i didn't for honestly like a month so i spent a month being like the funny guy being the jokester being you know, everyone's bright and shining light until I couldn't anymore because I did not know how to process those feelings. And for a lot of people, you process them by not fucking processing them and shutting down. I processed it with humor and Disney movies that made me cry. Hunchback and yes. Okay, Hunchback and Neutral. No, Lion King and then Princess and the Frog. Oh, I remember being a little kid and seeing that scene in Lion King. And then when that video game came out, my neighbor was playing it. It got to that part. And I literally had to leave his room. We were kids. Like, it wasn't creepy. But I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to be in the hall until you're done with this. And he's like, why? And I'm like, so I can't see Mufasa die. So I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to out my friend Amber. My friend Amber and I were babysitting for another friend. And it's like, we're, let's watch a Disney movie. So Amber randomly picks like Lion King. And this is the fall after my mom died. So this is maybe like a couple of months. So I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm fine. Let's watch the Lion King. And we get to the part where Simba's trying to wake up his dad. And I'm just like silently sobbing. I just have like tears rolling down my face. And Amber looks at me and she says, oh my God, I'm a monster. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better when uh, my former boyfriend sister passed away it was like and they had a family friend who was basically they'd been forever together since high school yep she left us the movie wedding crashers to watch because she had to go to a thing she completely forgot about the funeral crashers part do you want to talk about how freaking uncomfortable that got she left and i'm sitting there and i can feel it and i'm like oh crap and i remember it and it's um, my boyfriend at the time, who I'm not going to out on this podcast because he's very, very happy with one of my friends now when I think it's the cutest thing in the whole world. Anyway, um, like for real, I'm so happy they're together. But his mom's in the room. His sister's husband is in the room. He's in the room. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, oh, God, do I turn it off? Do I turn it off? And it gets there. And we're just all sitting there in that uncomfortable that would normally be incredibly funny mm-hmm. and going, guess i'll die now (laughs) it's like well i guess this is the end uh 
So we say this is two people who have lost people that are important. Your grief is valid so long as it doesn't involve murder. Yeah, please don't go kill anybody else. And if you are in crisis, sorry, I feel like we have to say this. If you are in crisis, please seek help. Like, we know these are crazy times for everyone. I don't mean to be a PSA. Uh, I'm trying to be less of a drunk, which is why I've been eating bread and brie, which are two of my favorite things on earth. I really like cheese. I think you know this about me. I do. I'm very jealous because I did not buy additional cheese unless it was sliced. Oh, wait, I've got mozzarella downstairs. Is oh, it shredded? Party. No. I was like, are you I eating don't. bag cheese? <laughs> I was like, are you I eating mean, a bag of cheese? I can't. I, I have before. There's I that mean, image of um, that dog that's like eating the whole bag that they're jumping in his mouth. That's what it looks like when I sneak down to the fridge sometimes. But I mean, I've also eaten bagged cheese. Um, I'm trying to be less of a drunk philosopher. Also, I apparently Tori really likes drunk philosopher Amanda. Apparently, Tori enjoys this. So, I am going to give you some notes on the text and Albert Camus. So, just in case you're wondering, if you're looking up his name, it looks like it's spelled Albert Camus. <laughs> Pronounce it, okay? Um, <laughs> like, my boyfriend, when I was 17, taught me this, okay? Like, but he also grew up in um, uh, Quebec. So, if I didn't pronounce it right, it was going to be an issue. So it's going to be an issue for me. That's true. The stranger is also known as the outsider because that's how it translates in French. So you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of times like uh, a BBC special to refer to it as the outsider. Both are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're like what this is called, just in the US, we've always referred to it as the stranger as far as I know. It might not have been that in the beginning though. Um, reading the book is kind of a rite of passage for French young men about 17. Which I absolutely disagree with. I read this when I was about 17. I I read this in college? College. So he was born November 7th, 1913. And he thought it was important. I think that Um, that makes perfect sense. As a, yes. As Amanda noted, favorite sexy existentialist existentialist hi existentialist um, he, <laughs> um that's called my wine talking my wine sip. um he dressed like james dean and humphrey bogart and he was once mm-hmm. asked model in vogue yeah he was a cover uh spread for vogue uh years ago and he was very attractive had lots of women, was a bit of a sex icon, unlike Sartre, who looked like a cave troll. Poor Sartre, he has this like wandering eye. What's that no, mean? I, I don't I don't disagree with you, but it's like it's so sad because it's like you'll put him side by side and you have this freaking like GQ model, and then you have this guy that you're like, well, I'd be nice to him at a party. But um what's what's interesting to me is that he the people who dated him were like, oh, he said he never believed in love. Mm-hmm. He did get married at one point in time, and it was a nightmare. Um, evidently, she told her family that he, that he had tuberculosis and a great taste for freedom because they asked, what is he going to do? He has no money, which I think is amazing. Um, Accurate. 
he was considered working class Pinot Noir, which I think is hysterical, aka mm-hmm. he was an Algerian of European origin. Um, his, when he was only a few months old, because he had four wounds, and his mother mm-hmm. was a cleaning lady, um, or in Britain, he was a charwoman. Do we need to talk uh, about Algeria really fast? We should talk about Algeria really fast. So Algeria is in Africa, but it has a lot of influence from Europe, mostly France, because of proximity and because of colonialism. Um, you'll see this with a lot of Africa. So actually, my uncle, who's a native French speaker, is from the Ivory Coast, and he's a French speaker because colonialism. Mm-hmm. So that uh, history of being Algerian, but also kind of being European is a thing. You'll get that also with Morocco as well. Um, there's a lot of, um, I mean, it's, it's frankly racism, but you'll get a lot of those like uh, disputed air quotes. Are they African or not when it comes to some of these uh, closer to Europe places or places that have a lot of European influence? Um, because they want to acknowledge that the people there are different, but also somehow are not because otherism is a thing. So that's Algeria. Mm-hmm. They only fairly recently became independent and like their own thing. It's mostly lovely place from what I have read. And by mostly lovely, I mean everything everywhere is kind of on fire and everyone is doing their best. Yeah. Um, so because he was poor, it was really awkward when he started going to elementary school or, you know, his primary school. Um, most with were kids of officers and wealthy so he himself found himself as a stranger mm-hmm. um, he's best known for his works the stranger fall mm-hmm. and the myth of sisyphus which is There's my favorite one too that I, yeah the myth of sisyphus is brilliant and i definitely recommend that you read it he went for the 1957 and the website mm-hmm. for the Nobel prize said it was for his important literary production with Clear-sighted earnestness illuminates the problems of human conscience in our times. Also, sure. that's a really fun website if you want to spend time on there. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to fall down a rabbit hole, that's a fun one. So, interestingly enough, he is one of the more interesting deaths uh, that we've come across, other than you know um, Ambrose Bierce just was it Ambrose Bierce? Mexico. <laughs> Camus was accidentally killed when the sports car he was riding in with his publisher hit a force but in Camus pocket was a train ticket to elsewhere he decided not to use as a last minute and he was killed January 4th 1960 yeah uh taken way too young from all of us but it somehow feels apropos yeah it it's one of those deaths that you're going oh well you could have so much more and then it's Nope. Well, if he was going to go, that kind of seems like the James Dean way to go out. So, isn't that how James Dean went out? That is how James Dean went out. <laughs> a tree. <laughs> I think it was a tree. He crossed Hold on. His, uh... I'm going to Google what killed James Dean. I was going to say, I know there's an episode of Supernatural where they find the Porsche because the Porsche has evidently gone missing. But Perfect collision <laughs> is what Google says. Did we get any listener questions for this episode? We did not, but we also didn't promote them. So if you want to talk existentialism in our comments, uh, drop into our DMs and I'll try to be sober. (laughs) 
So there aren't very many adaptations of this. There is a 1967 version of the film. I tried to post this for our website, but actually recently got taken down off YouTube. So I was able to see about half of it. Yeah. Um, There's also, interestingly enough, so you know how we were talking about Wuthering Heights? There was that whole song by Kate. There is a song by The Cure called Killing an Arab, and it is basically this book. Um, (laughs) That is the most us thing that we could ever find, is we found a Cure song based off of Camus. I remember reading this in AP English, and my teacher was like, does anybody else know any songs that are based off of books? And raising my hand like the little pretentious prick I was and being like, um, yeah, killing the cure and thinking I was cool. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. You're going to hate me. Do you know how I got introduced to the cure? How? The lead singer lent some vocals to an album that Blink-182 did. In like 2000. Yeah, in like 2002, I think. So wow. he lends he lends some vocals onto an album for that, and that's how I found the Cure when I was like twelve ish, thirteen. I was a goth kid in the early two thousands, listening to freaking Baja Sisters of Mercy, The Cure, and Susie Sue. So this is the problem: is I was like twenty years in the past, and everybody's like, "What is wrong with you?" But you know what? I feel like a classicist, so fuck off. I'm sorry um, that I'm younger than you. No, it's fine. It's good. To keep my it's blood good. fresh. God, what are you going to do with my blood? We need to watch Dracula. This is the best time to watch Dracula episode two. <laughs> Why? Okay, so did we have to read this in school? Go. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, because I was a philosophy student and I wanted to bang Camus, I've definitely read all of his work, so. I mean, I wouldn't blame you. I would totally, 10 out of 10, would bang Camus. Um, oh, yeah. As I mentioned, my senior year, AP English, it is actually one of my favorite books. Um, so I was very excited to reread it, which is mm-hmm. interesting because it sounds like I completely disagree with half of his philosophy. But here we are. Well, as I, 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 I just, I don't like this Camus very much. Like, I think that my favorite will always be The Myth of Sisyphus. Like, I like his essays a little bit more. I think his fiction, air quotes, is a little bit dry. And I don't like anyone's dry fiction. I like his fiction. Um, If you are, well, most of us are stuck at home right now. There's a book of his called The Plague. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a metaphor for World War II. I would definitely recommend reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, I got into a whole hypothetical discussion about it with my English teacher, Mr. Harrison, in 11th grade honors English. I feel like I treated Mr. Harrison too harshly. California stoner who was teaching because he wanted to pay his bills so he could go on trips across the world. So Mr. Harrison, I doubt you're listening because you probably have much better things to do than listen to former students, but I hope you're well. Yeah. um, I mean, if this is shout out corner to English teachers, uh, Miss Cochran and Mr. Wood, I hope you're doing well. Miss Peach, uh, I hope you're in hell hello wine i don't hope that you're in hell i just don't why'd you make us read watership down um that actually brings up a question that i had for us so did Hmm. you have to take like a philosophy class when you were in high school i did not Um, okay i took a lot of ap classes 
Um, but honestly, I didn't even have to broach half of the subject until sophomore year of college. And then I took a criticism class and then we actually discussed Plato, which was interesting. I don't know if it's just the California school system or what. So I actually had to take like a philosophy class when I was in high school. And I, I kind of had an issue with the whole like, oh, well, Camus is really popular at 17 because I kind of had a problem with that because I could not imagine reading this at 17. I would be a basement dweller. Uh, but what I did read in high school was a lot of uh, epistemology, which is like, how do you know what you know is what you know? And that yeah. broke my brain. Epistemology at like 16, 17 years old was like, everything is a simulation. We're all in the matrix. Nothing is real. Like that was too much for me. And I kind of... I don't know. I like this as a rite of passage for young people in France, but it also concerns me because I feel like it's not framed well enough for it to be like digestible because there's a lot of this for me that doesn't read as philosophy, but reads almost as like pathology, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like this just reads as like, this is a depressed person who needs help. Like, it doesn't read as this is a way that you can live your life more freely. It reads as this is your friend who spends too much time on live journal and probably needs some help. And I say that as that friend who spent too much time on live journal who needed help. Like, that's not from judgment. I, like, it I, makes you feel any better. Mine was melodramatic.com or mellow journal, as we used to call it, because we were so. Oh, my God. So, like, it's it's not, and I, again, like, I don't say any of that to be, you know, pejorative. I say this as that person that I'm always a little bit concerned when people are like, I'm a hardcore existentialist. It's like, but at what part did you stop? Where did you stop reading about existentialism? Because if you stopped at nothing has meaning, then I'm concerned that you're just depressed and you need sunlight and someone to listen to you. Is this kind of how, like, I stopped dating post on OK Cuba that said that their favorite book was um, The Fountainhead or Alex Hugged? I mean, I do that still. Like, if, if, if a guy's profile has, I like Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson, I swipe away. If they say that their favorite writer is Ayn Rand, I swipe away. If they say they're super into Nietzsche, I probably swipe away. It's like, nope, we're not doing this. So, like, a lot of this just feels like a lot of this just feels like mental illness from Camus. It doesn't feel like as it doesn't feel as comforting as Sartre where it's like this is an actual philosophy you can live your life as. Camus just feels like do you remember that uh, artist in the Iron Giant Dean? Yes! That everyone had a boner for including me. Oh I total boner for that guy. Total huge boner. boner for him. Huge, huge boner for him. It just feels like that. Like, it just feels like it's, there's not enough praxis to it for it to be an actual philosophy. It just feels like here's some depressed fuckhole who's at a mall. He reminds me of the goth kids in South Park. Like, just... (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you for laughing at that incredibly timely joke from 2005. There was also giggly. I had wine in my mouth, so I had to giggle like that so I didn't shoot it out my nose. Please don't shoot wine out your nose, darling. No, it hurts. Not, it hurts. That's not... I've never done it. Uh, uh, I have. So I'm kind it's of bad at myself. 
Why? I got the brie that doesn't have an edible rind. So I have to mm -hmm. very carefully peel the brie from its rind. Technically, you can eat the rind off of all brie. But um, it's literally just mold. And like cave stuff. Because most brie is cave aged. And it has a funk to it. And most people can't stomach, including me. So, so there's your... I'm like, are we cave-aged? Is Plato's concepts cave-aged? Anyway, we're done. Okay, that's... We're done. Um, <laughs> the podcast is over. We're done. So we had a handful of resources for this. Um, we did. A really cool BBC documentary. It's very hard to find, so I did the work for you, and I pulled the YouTube video. You're um, welcome. That'll be on our website. Um Again, if you fall down the rabbit hole of NobelPrize.org, that's really fun. Mm -hmm. um, crash Course. I don't know if I can say my love of Crash Course because I feel like we reference it every episode. Yeah, and then also the School of Life, which I got to turn Tori onto. Oh my gosh, that was so good. There was a whole episode on Albert Camus, and then immediately after, it brought up the Sartre one. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting there listening to it while handling... Um, customer nonsense yesterday oh yeah the school of Appreciate life has that. the school of life has some amazing videos and also um i think there's some good ted ed videos on that there is a uh there's a school of life video about cynicism that like kind of changed my entire existence because it was a cynicism and it said that the cynic ruins things for themselves because they're so afraid of having them ruined by other people and I was like, God damn it, get out of my childhood. <laughs> one, one. It's like, get out of, I had to stop watching the School of Life videos because it was like, when you're emotionally damaged from your childhood, it's like, get out of my life. <laughs> I do not have you to be accurately singling me out right now. Oh, yeah, like, the one on cynicism was, like, my wig is gone, I am laying here naked and vulnerable on the floor, you know too much about me, and I... <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is... I, I maintain that this is fine. If you if you have weird feelings about a parent dying, watch BoJack Horseman. There you go. BoJack handles all of this the exact same way. We're all fine, and by fine, I mean we're not fine at all. You brought up the line. All I could think of was um, the bus that just came out with Knightley walking into his like grand parlor room and laying down on the floor, coming in on the simply closing the door. Like the master has things to do while lying in in torment. Like <laughs> yeah. I will never have servants, but if I ever had servants, I would hope that they love door and let you do what you need to do yeah i honestly hope for that as well like if i ever had servants which i won't ever um i just i hope that they just leave me to whatever business i was attesting to because i 100 percent realized that i would be like a bit of a dracula that i would just have like eccentric things happening and it's like you don't need to ask me any questions you're, and if you do you're your own driver <laughs> Yeah, like you can't have any questions about how I live my life. I spend a lot of time looking at fabric. You cannot question 
Yes. This is a part where I'm going to admit that I don't. We set our next book. Um, the going to read the Summer's Night Dream. Yes, I do. So okay, we were looking at a bunch of of titles, and they were all like so dark and depressing. And honestly, right now, I feel like we need something. Well, Amanda's maybe real. We need something that's not painful. Yeah, and also something that we've both read in school because I'm starting to feel like I was never educated. And I feel like, uh, the Bingeables podcast is the one that asked for Midsummer's Night Dream. I, I believe that they were. So we do listen to you, listeners, if you do suggest books. Um, so I think we just need to read a Midsummer's Night Dream. I think that we need... Uh, it'll be hard to go from Oberon, from, from Oberon to Oberon again. Because I've been deep in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have oh, decided that I would like to adopt a child from Game of Thrones. So, unfortunately, Geeks Who Drink is on hiatus. It's a company mm-hmm. I used to work for that does pub quiz, who are amazing. Go back. But mm-hmm. they did a Game of Thrones quiz several years ago, and they played a particular sound from Game of Thrones that involved Oberyn Martell. And literally, I had never seen an entire bar blanch and look like they were going to vomit in that until that particular part. So, I was yeah. Um, Do you want to know what, what Game of Thrones that. child I want? I want Leanna Mormont. I, I would like her as a daughter. I would keep her safe, even though she's very capable. She's kind of the best. I, ever. I, I don't hate the Mormonts. I don't hate the Mormons either. Enough play. Yeah, I'm not very fond of the Starks. The Starks kind of remind me of the goth kids that I was one of <clears throat> senior year around the quad. Like, life has no meaning, everything is dark. Let's all keep going because we altered suicide. Like I said, I, I was... can talk shit because I was that kid. I was a goth kid, but I really like the Lannisters, so what does that say about me? <laughs> As an adult, I, I love the conniving. Um, but the unfortunate thing is they're smarter than they actually are. And that's where they uh, get I will not. I will not have you talk ill of my husband, Tywin Lannister. <laughs> the gentleman who got shot on the toilet? Shut up. <laughs> So every time I see a movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Tywin. I mostly, I mostly just think of him being a fake deer, which I probably have to explain, don't I? So there's, there's a version of Phantom of the Opera where it's uh, Charles Dance who plays the Phantom and he's in a forest and like in his anger, he punches what is obviously like one of those like fake hunting deers and it's one of the best things on the internet is Tywin Lannister just LARPing around a forest, punching out a fake deer. I mean, I feel like that is a healthy way to deal with our anger. Just fake deer, though, not real deer. I mean, if you can get that close to an actual deer and punch it, you've, you've earned that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, don't go to Horseshoe Bay, Texas right now, though, because they have two cases of COVID-19. Anyway, but they have a lot of... How about of just don't leave, don't leave your goddamn house right now? 
Yeah, stay stay home as much as you can. If you have to go to the grocery store, often take precautions. But like, walk around your backyard, walk along the. Don't come within six feet of other people. Wash your damn hands. Wash um, your damn hands. We obviously love you guys. That's why we keep doing this. That and the fact obviously horse. Obviously. Okay. I mean, okay I mean... Friends with so many podcasters because of this podcast. You're like, welcome. Thank you. And laughing about stuff like right now where everything feels like hell. Oh, we became friends with Drunk Austin on Twitter because we were covering mm-hmm. Austin. And now I regularly get to watch uh, Bianca's updates about just random things that she's working on sewing wise and on where to find patterns. I mean, come on. So um, if we can see Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, I have fabric for that. Uh, yeah, I would like to dedicate some time to our podcasting community. We know that this is a difficult time for everyone and it especially hits us in a unique way, but uh, we love all of you. And we're here for you. Um, let us know if we can help. I also think this is a great time to collab. So if you collab, collab, good lord, the wine. Um, if it, if you've ever wanted to slide into our DMs, there is no better time. If you've ever wanted for to real. work with us or interview us or anything like that, there is no better time than to the now to slide into our DMs. Tori, I think you'd really like this wine. I think I would too. I don't feel like this one though. It's very dry. This one's kind of dry, but it also tastes, apparently we have a penchant for communion wine. We do. I mean, I remember us recording Jane Eyre and getting blessed. Um, can I do a shout out? I don't think I sound that drunk. That I love? Yes. Okay. So I definitely want to give a shout out to Fuckboys of Literature, which you can find pretty much everywhere. It's F B O L. We've talked about that's a that's a mutual show. shout out. We both love them. Oh my god, she's amazing. Yes. Um, there's one called Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, with Liv, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Historic AF, which is here. Uh, sorry, Historic AF. Looking for them on Twitter, but they're one of the girls is Agin, which is about. An, uh, uh, two hours from us? Absolutely Amazing. not. Not that far? No. Oh. I guess I just plot everything by Lano, which is an hour and 45 Yeah, Seguin is like 30, 45 minutes, maybe. Okay, never mind. Closer than I thought. Um, hey, sister! <laughs> Hi, sister! Um, Cheers Grave is out of full. Um, if I do a shameless plug, uh, mine is Texas slang for crazy. So if you want to hear like bullshit about Texas, um, I I'm down, I'm down for new podcasts as well, because otherwise I'm just going to be on an endless loop of those folks, mysterious universe and, uh, my favorite murders. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're shouting, if we're shouting out podcasts, I mean, I guess I'll be the one that handles the like air quotes, famous ones. Uh, the Anthropocene Reviewed with John Green has been great during this time, as has Dear Hank and John. I don't know, Tori, if you listen to Dear Hank and John yet, but I feel like I that's just yet. us. That is, remember how we said that you're probably the Hank and I'm definitely the John? It's true. Um, mm-hmm. It's very After true. watching Hank, it's very true, yeah. 
uh lore has gotten better which is nice <laughs> sorry aaron Mankey, i like you as a person but your podcast sometimes upsets me uh stuff you missed in history class has still been phenomenal sawbones if you don't listen to that is quite good i'm the, i'm not the biggest mcelroy stan but i do like sawbones i really you... like show me the meaning oh i haven't listened to that one yeah, that's a Wisecrack movie podcast. I'm not crazy about all of their hosts sometimes, but when there's good episodes, the episodes are good. So I know Bingeable's podcast is really good. We've also talked yes. quite on the set who is on hiatus right now, but their old stuff is still up. Yeah. Um, if you are bored and want to watch a bunch of stuff, I highly recommend. They're not a podcast yet, but Greg, Dana, you should be. Um the traveling Par- museum of the paranormal and the occult i can i swear i can say that after wine um they're amazing they have a ton of videos they're participating in what's called paranormal quarantine right now and it mm-hmm. is amazing i've learned all sorts of weird stuff that i probably shouldn't know but mm-hmm. yeah i mean this is a great time to through some podcasts uh paperback romance book club also gets a shout out for me i'm not a huge romance fan but uh occasionally i'm here for it there's just a lot of great stuff out there to kind of keep you going through this difficult time is trust we're all bored <laughs> mm-hmm. and none of us like n- none of us have been enjoying this even your inter also check on your friends like, check check on your people. It costs you approximately zero dollars. Just, just say hi. We're all scared and alone right now. Tori has been great by making sure that I haven't gone feral. And likewise, you reach out and make sure that I haven't murdered my husband and child and I'm currently, like, amidst their blood and entrails in the living room. Ma'am. Not that there's honestly a risk of that, but... I was about to say, ma'am, is that a confession? No, see, I can say this on the podcast because it will never happen, so it can never be used against me in a court of law. Also, uh, just as I mentioned earlier, uh, we'll bring back Soviet Amanda. Listen to experts and to the proper authorities. If they say social distance and stay inside, I don't care how much you think you know, you don't know more than them. I'm just going to go. I'm an asthmatic. I'm a lifelong asthmatic. So stuff like this hits very close to home for me. I don't care how many of these things you think you've survived. You haven't. Shut up and listen to experts. Fair point. Fair point. Thank you. Thank you. Soviet Amanda is new. You haven't met her yet. <laughs> no, but I, I need to send her a bottle of vodka. Um, all right. So we're all over social media. We're here for you if you want to chat, if you're bored, whatever. Um, yeah, slide our DMs. Uh, ask us questions. Hell yeah. Um, we're on, unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's manned by Amanda, but I send weird crap to her all the time. You um, do. With, I do, and it's hysterical to me. Unfortunately required on Instagram, so you can see what we're drinking. Um, and, and my knife cuts. Requiredreading.com. And that's mm-hmm. where, unfortunately, requiredreading.com is basically where you can find links to everything. 
So if you're like, wow, I only want to go to one of these because I don't have time for your nonsense, that's where you can go. Um, we are open in our email at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com, or you can buy a bunch of crap on Redbubble if you want to sell fan. Please buy our crap. Okay, full shout out. I bought a t shirt from Buck Boys of Literature. I bought Team Attic Wife. Hell it's yeah. Be here within the week, and I'm so excited about it. I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you Fuck Boys of Literature, if you're listening to us, we love you so much. We love Very we love nice. all of you. Yeah. Uh we're but- gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this. I don't know how, but we are gonna get through this. Well, I'm currently making tumblers with like Soviet space dogs on them, so um I don't know if that's helpful, but Can I get a Leica? Leica is my favorite. Um, I'm trying to remember the two that are actually in the museum. It's, it's not Stroika. Balka? Balka? Isn't one a Belka? Yeah. Um, I love the museum. No, I'm just rambling at this point. There's a museum. It's Museum of Jurassic Technology in Los Angeles. And their upper floor has an entire gallery of portraits dogs and oil paints. And it is amazing and it's like i would wear a little thing that had just like light but anyway i had a good time did you have a good time i had a good time because i missed back you i mean i'm always here you can call me on my phone i'm not going anywhere no i have to stop because drake is not good anyway (laughs) as we always say for the love just go read a book. You have time. Whatever your backlog is, just just go read a book. Whatever you're going through right now, uh, go out to your patio or to your backyard and go read a book. We will if you will. I take a picture of my stack right now um, and post it on Instagram <laughs> if you want to send me yours. Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. No, those are kind of everywhere. Picture of your bookshelf would be like... I can do that. Okay. okay. All right. I miss you. I will talk to you I soon. I miss you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.